Welcome to this God-inspired message from Shofar Christian Church. Enjoy today's message. May you experience the presence of our Father and may you grow deeper in your relationship with Him. So just before we get started, I just want to do a quick litmus test just to make sure that you guys are in, uh, like engaged and it's not going to be like a one-way conversation. Can you raise your hand if you've been to the moon? Fantastic. Can you raise your hand if you can understand English? Okay, that's good. So, so the theory was nobody should have raised their hand the first time around and all of you should have raised it the second, second time. Um, and it was priming the pump for this question. Can I see by a show of hands, who of you believe that you are in full-time ministry? Okay, so about 50% of us. Some hands are like super high and some hands in that question. So as you can see today, I'm going to be speaking about work. Um, Philip asked me a while ago if I'm willing to share a message, and I said, yes, I will. And my default went to, I wanted to speak about discipleship. And I actually prepared a sermon on it, and I was ready to share it, and then God spoke to me, and He said, you have something else that I want you to, to share, something else I want you to impart. And God isn't um, confused. If Philip were to ask, uh, before he introduced me, is there somebody that has a word that they want to share, I probably would have stood up this morning and, and shared, even if I wasn't due to preach, um, to, to tie on to what Sarah said during worship about People with cups that are half full. People with cups that don't run over. And um, I'm going to speak a little bit about that today. How do you engage with your work? How do you view your work? What is the world lens through which you view your work? But before we get there, just a, a brief introduction about myself, if you don't know um, who I am. So I'm a father to three beautiful daughters. Uh, when they hit their teenage years, I am going to really have my hands full. Uh, then, indeed, I am a husband to one very beautiful wife. She's sitting there next to her aunt um, and a beautifully dressed Natati. I love your uh, outfit, Tati. You look great. Um, and then the last point that I just want to focus on a little bit is uh, I'm an employer. So I'm fortunate enough to... Uh, run a business uh, called Kernmead, and we work in the construction space. And I took over from my dad in 2017. He retired, and I took over from him. And since then, God has taken me on a wild journey when it comes to work. And I can tell you uh, many horrific stories of things that I've done wrong. And I can tell you a few stories of when God was with me and I made very, very good decisions. And today I want to impart something to you, a little bit of head knowledge, but to a greater extent I'm trusting some spiritual impartation to take place. But before we get into the heart of the message, um, have you guys heard the joke, what does it mean when a preacher looks at his watch? It means nothing. <laughs> so uh, if you just bow your head, then I'll pray for us. Our Father, we, we thank you for the privilege that we have of meeting together. We declare that we do so in your name, Lord. You say that there where two or more are gathered in your name, there you will be. So we ask you for your presence, Jesus. Be with us, Holy Spirit. Move upon this place. Move upon our hearts. Change us. 
from one degree of glory to the next. And then, Jesus, I bring my words before you. I pray for every word that proceeds out of my mouth that is not born of you, that it will fall onto the ground and it will die. It will bear absolutely no fruit. But I thank you, Jesus, for every word that I'm about to speak that is born of you, that it will fall on fertile soil and it will bear fruit a hundredfold. In Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Great stuff. So, as I said, I'm going to share a message on work. And it's from a, a, a very interesting place in the Bible. So if you can just go to the, the first slide. So, all really epic stories begin with the following phrase, in the beginning or a long, long time ago. That's how epic stories start. Don't you agree with me? We have such a story in the Bible, and it's found in Genesis. Um, and I'm specifically going to be preaching out of Genesis 1, 2, 3. You can uh, go back to the, the other slide. Just keep it there for now, please. Um, and you might be thinking to yourself, yeah, why is he preaching out of Genesis 1, 2, 3, but he wants to speak about work? Surely there's better scriptures than that. But I want us to go back to in the beginning. When God created stuff and it was still pure, undefiled, the way He intended it. Because I think a lot of the times we have a warped perception of why we were created. You might not verbalize it like this, but I think to a large extent, some of us believe we were created to lie on a couch and have somebody pop grapes into our mouths and, and like come with a leaf and just blow us cold and Subconsciously, I think we believe that work is a result of the fall. But as an introduction, I want to prove to you that it isn't. So if you can go with me, I don't have the scriptures on the slide on purpose. I would like you to whip out your smartphone or your hard copy Bible if you're a real Christian, and then uh, just read along with me. So it's super easy to find. It's like right in the beginning of your Bible, First book, first book, first chapter, first verse. It says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So, here's a trick question. Who was the first worker ever? God. God was the first worker. And if you don't believe me, we just keep reading with me. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and empty, and darkness covered the deep waters. It's an interesting place to start, don't you think? So it says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And then it sort of moves on. But if you're anything like me, I've got, I already have a million and one questions. I'm like, how did he create it? When did he create it? How long did it take him to create it? But the Bible's like, no, 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 all of that's peripheral. All of that doesn't matter. It focuses in on a select few things, and I'm going to highlight some of those things, and I'm going to explain to you, in my opinion, why it highlights that. So the first thing that it says is it was formless and empty. Um, a, a large part of the sermon that I'm sharing is a project. So I don't know the guy's name, but uh, you would have seen some of his videos called The Bible Project. So he's also a, a preacher, and there's some of his stuff on YouTube, and I'll really encourage you guys to go watch. He's got two back-to-back um, -back videos called A Labor of Love, A Story About Work. And 
He's theologically a lot better teacher than me, and he uses Hebrew words like tohu, vavohu, and then we laughed in small group because somebody says it sounds like towing of Volvo or something. So as a disclaimer, a lot of what I'm sharing comes from that, but it's a work that God has been doing in my heart over the years. Now, this part that says it was formless and empty and darkness covered the deep waters, does that sound good to you? For who is it not good? Do you think it's not good for God? No, it's not good for us. Do you think we can live in a place that's formless and empty, create light and of darkness? I don't think we can. So then God proceeds to create light. And why does He create light? And why does He create darkness? For who is light good and for who is darkness good? For us. So we can see that the story of Genesis is telling a story of how God did something that's for the benefit of us. And God saw that the light was good, and He separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day and the darkness night, and evening passed and morning came, making it the first day. Now to further illustrate my point, jump to verse 11. Then God said, let land sprout with vegetation. Every sort of seed-bearing plant and trees that grow seed-bearing fruit. So immediately I'm thinking to myself, what about the other plants? Do you agree with me? There are countless other plants that don't have seed-bearing fruit. So in essence, what are they describing here? Fruit trees. For who is a fruit tree good? For us. So the author of Genesis writes it in such a manner You'll see later on, we become the central part of the story. He's creating something for someone. And now, if you jump to verse 27, we get to that part. So God created human beings in His own image. In the image of God, He created them. Male and female, He created them. Then God blessed them and said, and this is a very famous part, but I'm going to spend some time here. Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and govern it. Reign over the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, and all the animals that scurry along the ground. So we have this picture. There's this dark, empty, cold place. He creates animals and he creates light and day, and He creates fruit-bearing trees, and He does all of these things, and then He creates humans. So He's created this environment that's brimming with potential. There's a lot of potential. And then God creates humans, and He says, go and reign over it. Some translations might say, subdue it. And that subdue, I believe, is work. That reigning over it. I'm convinced is work. And if you still don't believe me that God was the first worker, go to Genesis 2 verses 1. So the creation of heaven and earth and everything in it was completed. On the seventh day, God had finished His work of creation. So He rested from all His work as a worker. Isn't that interesting to you? He could have introduced Himself in any manner. But he introduces us, him to himself, uh, him to us as a worker. And then he says, I'm creating you in my image. 
implying I am creating you to work. So I'm not sure where your mind is at concerning work. Maybe you don't have work. Maybe you have work and you hate it. Maybe you've got work and you love it. But the, the essence that I want to get to is that work is part of our worship to God. And I'll explain a little bit later how work is probably the best way to test your allegiance to God, to test where your covenant affection lies. And I'll explain that a bit later. So just stick with me. Um, as, uh, as we go down this rabbit hole. So as I said, at the end of creation, God has taken this barren wasteland He created, and it's bursting with potential, and then He placed us in the midst of it to cultivate this potential. If we don't cultivate it, something interesting happens. I'll put a photo on um, a bit later to illustrate that. So, how is your work then worship to God? You can go to the next slide now. Yeah. So, God is the... F no, no, no. Back. Yeah. So, God is the first worker. But um, it's important to just explain what His work was in a more broadest term. Yes, so He created light and darkness... We created light and then he separated the light and the darkness. He created animals. He created fruit-bearing trees. But none of us can do that. I don't know when last you tried, but like creating light like, sounds like a challenging thing. I can't. Mm, no. I, my, me and my wife can't even plant a seed and keep it alive. We're fairly good with children. Our success rate's quite good. Three for three. Um, plants, not so good. We, we're fantastic at, at keeping plastic plants alive. We haven't killed one of those yet. Um, so that's a good track record as well. But So we can't create these things, but yet God says, I've passed the baton on to you. So what is the baton? So there was chaos. God took the chaos and he made it into some sort of an ordered structure. But Why? For the benefit of someone else. And that's the story of work. That's God's intention for work. He places you in a situation that's a little bit chaotic. Sitting behind a laptop with the Excel spreadsheet that doesn't balance at all. And at the end of your work, the sheet balances. And it's to the benefit of somebody else. And because we are created in the image of God... When you see a worker at work, you see the image of God. I don't know when last you've thought about it like that. If you see somebody working, you're supposed to see the image of God. And I think because we don't, we don't engage with our work in a manner that passionately illustrates our calling by God. We go through life with um, this guy from the Bible Project, the way he words it, he says, we go through life with vague emotions. Doesn't that sound like the generation we live in? Like a whole bunch of people that they don't really have strong opinions about like anything, except on social media. Everybody's got a very strong opinion on Facebook. Yo, I think I lost you guys somewhere along. So raise your hand if I still have you. Okay, at least 70% is still with me. So that's good. The other 30%. Just shake the person who didn't raise his hand and say, hey, wake up. Oh, oh my goodness. Okay. 
Philip, sorry, I tried my best, but um, it looks like I lost him along the way. So God's works for the benefit of others, and so should ours be. So before you go to the next slide, are you guys with me that work was around before the fall? It's not a new concept. It's not something that the devil brought in. It's not something that we have to do to survive. Because a lot of times I think that that was my perspective for a very long time. It's, it's a survival thing. I have to go to work so that I can get money, so that I can be a good father and husband, so that I can provide for my family. But this work thing was a means to an end. It wasn't an end in itself. But I want to challenge that um, mindset of yours. Work isn't a, a means to an end. It's a means to an end as well. Getting paid, being a good father, providing for your family is super important. Don't get me wrong. But the work itself is so precious. So, so precious to God. But that, then something terrible happened. Now you can go to the next slide. And, then, um, and to the man he said, Since you listened to your wife, and ate from the tree whose fruit I have commanded you not to eat. The ground is cursed because of you. All your life you will struggle to scratch a living from it. It will grow thorns and thistles for you. Though you will eat of its grain, by the sweat of your brow um, will you have food to eat until you return to the ground from which you were made, for you were made from the dust, and to the dust you shall return. Um, so this is the little photo that I wanted to show you guys. It's a photo that I took in our, our backyard, and it doesn't look it, but that's our vegetable patch. It's our vegetable garden. So as I said as a disclaimer, me and my wife is not great with plants, but... Um, can you see what the natural inclination of the world is? There's a fancy word for it called entropy. So everything is decaying backwards. Everything needs maintenance. Un unless if you're ESCOM, then you don't have to maintain anything. Then you, you're just on hopes and dreams. You plot ahead, and then we are where we are now. But, so we weren't great at maintaining our vegetable patch. We... Let the weeds grow. And somewhere in there, there's some vegetables. I promise you, there's even some tomatoes in there. And that big thing hanging to the side is a spring onion, although it looks more like a, something out of a Star Wars movie. But the point that I'm making is without the proper care, the, the world that we live in is going to decay to a point we'll be going back to that other word, tohu vavahu. It's formless. It's dark. And it's not the place for anybody to live in. So without work, so yes, there, as a disclaimer, there is work that is ungodly, that's degrading to people. There, there, there is forms of work like that, slavery, all of those things. But I'm taking it for granted that's not the category that I'm speaking about now. But work is of God and it's for the benefit of others. And um, if you go to the next slide... I think to a large extent, that's how I lived before God gave me this um, 
revelation is we've got the sacred. This is this happening here. The little holy huddle. We come to church. And if, you, if you're like a really good Christian, then you go on a Wednesday to small group. And that's sort of our holy contact points with Jesus. Or we have our quiet time in the morning and Jesus speaks to me about me and what I need to do. And, and then we go into the big bad world. The yellow world where we sort of fend for ourselves and we, we, God isn't in it. And, but that's, that's not God's heart. So if us coming to Jesus is our entire being being transformed, our entire lives being touched by the Creator, don't you think the place where you spend your most time is important to Him? Like, where do you spend the most of your time? Just on a practical level. Like, 45 hours of your week, well, some of us spend the most of our time in our bed, which is not good. Sleep is important. I'm the first person to admit I need my eight hours, but that's a third of your day. The other third you probably spend at work, and then the rest of the third is split between family and eating and uh, recreational activities and all of that. So if you limit God to the sacred part of your life, you've boxed him into like 10 to 20% of your life, just time-wise. The secular part of our lives, I would argue, is even more important to God than what's happening in the sacred part. Because it's in the secular part where the salt... Remember, we are salt and light, where salt comes into contact with what it's supposed to. So if salt doesn't come into contact with anything, it's useless. That passage actually said when salt loses its flavor, it gets thrown out. But salt in a salt pot that doesn't get placed on meat or... Um, so something that, that I use salt for a lot is uh, to make bolt. Yeah, it adds salt to the biltong. And you hang that meat, yeah, it's, um, it's not going to be lacquer. But with the salt, something amazing happens. And that's what God has called us to do. He's called, called us to be the salt, to go into the secular part of the world and be in contact with the world. And that's what Jesus modeled to us. What was he called? He was called the friend of sinners. He was called the drunkard and the glutton. When last have you been called a drunken and a glutton for good reasons, obviously? Like for the same reasons as Jesus. I'm not talking about being out in the pub and being drunk and overeating yourself and then somebody says you're a drunk and a glutton. Because then you are a drunk and a glutton. But if you are with the guy at the pub and you are salt and light and you get that tag, I think it is a tremendous compliment as a Christian. Um, Jesus said that for everyone wants to live a godly life and follow me will suffer persecution. When last have you suffered persecution? But anyway, now I'm going into the discipleship thing that I prepared. So let's, let's, not, let's not go there. Let's, uh, let's stick here. So um, if you go to the next slide. So then after today's message, this might happen. And you'll think, okay, okay. So, the, so there's, there's a bit of an overlap. Like, yeah, yeah, I've got this sacred part, and I've got this secular part, and I'll overlay them a little bit. 
And like in the middle, you'll say, that's where the salt is. But I'm convinced that's not God's heart either. So I'm convinced that the sacred and the secular should overlap completely because I'm convinced the secular is more sacred than anything else because it's in our secular environment where God can really mold us and do things with us. So I want to I want to tell you guys a, a practical story. Um, so before I tell my my story, just as an illustration, so why I say work is so important to God. Firstly, the point I've made: without work, this thing called entropy is going to take us back to that garden of mine. That's not good. Like I don't have we eaten anything from that garden? Oh, we've eaten stuff from that garden, but clearly not enough to have made a big impression on me. So that garden of ours. It produces fruit, but if we're lucky, something for us. But ideally, the garden should produce enough fruit for others as well. And when you deliberately work at something, that's the intention. So that's the first part where, why I believe work is extremely important. But secondly, work, God uses work to test your heart. Because that's what He cares about. He cares about what's happening on the inland. To be a gardener in. Next to me, there's somebody else with a 30 by 20 piece of land. And the, the boundary pegs are there and I'm busy in my garden. And I'm working and they're working. But they turn to go get water. And now I think to myself, hmm, maybe if I pull this peg out and just move it like two feet over. Huh? Then I'll have more land. To produce more things for other people. Huh? Don't you think that's a good plan? Like, I'm such a good gardener. So if I get more land, it's such a Christian thing to do. Like, I can definitely produce more vegetables if, if I have a bigger piece of land. And no one's watching. But yet, it's in those decisions, how do I answer this email? How do I respond to somebody that presses my buttons at work? It's in those situations where God looks at your heart, and the way you respond matters to Him. So the story, and in 2018, we did quite a bit of work for Exaru, which is a, a big mining company, and the way they do stuff is uh, very similar to a lot of other corporates. You issue them with a quotation, they approve the quotation, they respond by giving you a purchase order, and you then start transacting and you invoice against this purchase order as you start rendering services and, and you carry on. And we gave them, so I spoke to somebody quite high up and we agreed that we're probably going to end up doing about 100 rands worth of work. But then this person told me, look, the effort of getting a purchase order is very uh, onerous. So increase your quote to have a buffer and quote us for 150 rand. So the purchase order is there. And then later, if we don't deplete the purchase order, then we just, like, to scratch it on our system is a lot easier than to create a new one. So I said, okay, that's fine, no problem. So we're rendering the service, and we're carrying on for about nine months. And we've done with our services. We completed. I agree with the senior guy, okay, we're moving on. He's happy with our services. We deliver our last invoice to just over 100 rand. So now there's another 40 rand left on this purchase order. 
and I move on. And he moves on. For about three months, we don't do any business with Exaru. I don't hear anything from them. I don't hear. Next moment, I get an email from somebody in accounts. And the email says, good day, Christoph. I have open purchase order on my system to the value of uh, 40 Rand. Can you please invoice the 40 Rand so that I can close the purchase order on my system? So I then respond and I say, I can't invoice. It's not services that we rendered. Please close the purchase order. Same person in finance responds, I can't close the purchase order without you invoicing it. You need to invoice me for the 40 Rand for me to close. So I call the person and I explain the situation. Sir, I cannot close the purchase order if you don't invoice. So now we have this long back and forth over this 40 Rand. It was a lot more than 40 Rand. Eventually, I put the phone down and I send another email. And I say, listen, as per our discussion, I can't invoice. Next moment, she's it's a lady, she's escalated to her superior. Now the superior is also telling me, listen, just invoice the amount so that we can close the purchase order. You're wasting all of our time. After a very long discussion, I eventually start including the senior guy, and everybody agrees, we mustn't invoice. We must just close the purchase order. Now, I could have very easily just sent an invoice Told nobody about it. Bulk invoice, if I remember correctly, it was to the amount of about 400,000 Rand. Bulk invoice, 400,000 Rand, Exaro would have paid it, purchase order closed. But can I tell you what my gut feeling is, what would have happened? I would have gotten that 400,000 Rand, but our business would have been shut down because the favor of God would have been removed from us. So when I took over from my dad in 2017, we were about seven people. We are 44 people now. And it's not because of any fancy things. I promise you it's because of the hand of God that is on us. So, a funny story. Then I start getting other mails from Exhorter. Now there's this function. I have to come to this function. And I just file it. I don't even respond because it seems like an automated email. Eventually, somebody from Exhorter calls me. Sir, you have to come to the function. There's an award for you. So, I said, Okay. I can't come that evening, I'll send somebody else. So you know what award they give us? They give us the award for capital excellence for the entire Exaro in South Africa. And in terms of Exaro's turnover and all of their suppliers, we're like a blimp in the radar. But now we have that little trophy standing in our um, reception area that reminds me of why it is that we do business in God's way. Not for any human approval, but for God to find something in us that when He looks at us, He smiles. I don't know if you've ever thought about it like that, but it's something that I do often. I just sit with God and I ask Him, what does He feel? And you know what a nice feeling is if He looks at you and He smiles? He doesn't even have to say anything. It's such a it's, it's such a fulfilling feeling. So I want to come back to that word that Sarah shared in the beginning. If you're sitting here and your cup is half full, I want to ask you, how do you do your work? Do you do your work as unto the Lord? Do you do your work as if it is worship? Or is your work a means to an end instead of a means by itself? So we started in the beginning of the story. Now I spoke about how it is in the middle. I briefly want to go to it at the end. Because I think 
we're under a disillusionment about the end as well. So when Jesus comes back, it's not like he's going to take work away. He's going to take sin away. So if you go to the next slide. So if you can read with me from Matthew 25, 23. So this is Jesus speaking. And um, he's telling a parable. And it's a parable of the three servants. And the master is going away on a long trip. And then he gives some money to the one and more money to the other one. And even more money to the third one. And um, then the one with the little money like spoils it. The one with the medium amount of money doubles it, and the one with the most money also doubles it. And then this master was something so countercultural. Like in today's society, it would have been okay, okay, take the money from the one who squandered it, and at least give it to the one with the, who's got less money. But that's not what the master does. He gives it to the one who has the most money. And then he says something. And his master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. Isn't that something that you want to hear at the end of your life? Huh? There's going to come a time when you're going to stand in front of the one with fire in his eyes. All of us. So um, there's a saying that says, and all, all roads lead to Rome. Um, or when speaking about religion, religion is this mountain. And there's just many paths that get to this mountain. But all of them lead to the top. There's a very big part of me that agrees with that. You want to know why? Because every single person is going to stand in front of the king and you're going to give an account. It doesn't necessarily mean you're going to be a sheep. You might end up being a goat. But all of us are going to stand in front of him. And uh, I did this course uh, called MTP. Um, it's a show for course where you go to Stellenbosch each and the apostolic team, so you... Uh, it's four sessions of a week each, and you stay there and you live with him. It's, it's very intense. And there was this guy, his name is George Malek. He passed away now. But when I'm in his presence, there's something about Jesus that I feel that I haven't felt with somebody else. It's such a special thing. And the one time I asked him, I said, Uncle Malek, how do you do that? How do you get that presence of Jesus? And then he asked me, Christopher, have you ever heard the saying, saying, 20, uh, hindsight is 2020 vision? Who have you ever heard that saying? Hindsight is 2020 vision. It, it speaks about when you've went through a situation already and then you look back at it, then you understand the situation and you probably would have made different choices. Sort of what it implies. It's when this saying, fit, uh, when you say the saying, it's sort of, uh, I actually regret something a little bit, but you know, hindsight is 2020 vision. And I said, okay, that's fantastic, Uncle George, but I asked you about Jesus' presence and now you're giving me 2020 vision. And he said, Christoph, you know from what place I live my life? I said, no, that was my question, Uncle George, from what place do you live your life? And he said, Christoph, I live my, play, my life from the place of where I'm standing in front of Jesus and I'm looking him in his eyes with a fire and I'm giving an account for the moment I'm going through right now. And then I ask myself, George, what you're about to do, you're going to tell Jesus in the future. So do something now that you won't regret telling him then. And I thought to myself, yeah, that is profound. That is so profound. Um, 
So then Jesus carries on and he says, you have been faithful and trustworthy over a little. I will put you in charge of many things. Share in the joy of your master. And it's this picture of the master welcoming the servant into eternity. And he doesn't say, well done, my good and faithful servant. You have made it. Come in and sit and worship for eternity. That's not what he says. He says, you have been faithful over a little. Come in. I will make you faithful over much. What you do, the side of eternity, will echo into eternity. If you are a good worker, the side of eternity. But if you're a, you will be a good worker, that side of eternity. But if you're a bad worker, the side of eternity. There's a, a scripture that speaks about people that make it into heaven and some people built with uh, jewels and gems and other people built with many different things. And then there's a, a person who, who built with straw. And But the, the sort of point of the story is this person actually built something. They, they followed Jesus and they were committed to this thing. And then the Bible says, and they will be saved as by fire. And they will make it, but they will smell like smoke. I don't know about you, but I don't want to be the one in eternity that have just made it. I will work this side of eternity in a manner that when I look Jesus in the eyes, the man with fire in his eyes, that there is as little things that I regret as humanly possible. So your work will echo into eternity. So that's all the slides that I have. The next one says thank you. I want to just uh, put an extension out for prayer. Um, Sarah, you guys can maybe start coming to the front if you want. Um, or not if you want, please, if you can. With no music, it might get very awkward. Uh, I'm not bad at awkward. I can sort of ride that wave, but I think for all of you, it might get really tough. I want to stand here without blinking, um, but let's not do that. I want to put an invitation out. If, if you are here and you feel like that person that I described, somebody that's going through life with vague emotions, you get up in the morning and you're not really sure, am what I doing? Does it make a difference? Is God into this exile document of mine? Is God into this drawing that I'm creating? Is God into this clothes that I'm making? Is God into these children that I'm raising? I don't know how many people here are, probably about 40. And if I were to ask what your work is, we'll probably get 40 different answers. But you know what the golden thread will be? You take something that's chaotic. You create it into something that's ordered and structured and beautiful. And it's to the benefit of someone else. And if that process doesn't feel holy to you, if that process doesn't, I want to invite you to come forward. I would love to pray for you. So if you can just stand with us. Sarah and the band is going to lead us in a song. And um, yeah, as I start playing, you're welcome to come forward. I'm just going to pray for us in conclusion.
Oh Jesus, we thank you that you are so intimately, intimately involved in our work, in what we have boxed into something that's called secular, something that is supposed to give us meaning and supposed to give us joy and fulfillment actually drains us. I pray that our vantage point will change and that we will live with passion, we'll work with passion so that we can work wholeheartedly as unto the Lord and not to men. In Jesus' name. Thanks for listening to this message from Shofar Christian Church. We believe that you enjoyed your time with us, establishing God's kingdom and His glory in your life. For more info, call us on 012-362-1363. Email us, pretoria at shofaronline.org. Browse our website, www.shofaronline.org. Or like us on facebook.com forward slash shofarpretoria.org.